Good morning. 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 <laughs> um, I don't know if you've heard, or if any of you watch Oprah, uh, but there's a, yeah? Who watches Oprah? Phil. Phil? Good. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I don't, because she's, she's on during the day, but I happened to get a glimpse of something the other day when she was uh, talking about a worldwide phenomenon, phenomenon um, called The Secret. Anyone heard The Secret? It's sold 50 million copies already around the world. It is the latest in the new age uh, philosophy that, that tells you that you can have a most amazing, a most fruitful, a most materialistically successful life if you follow the secret wisdom. And uh, today, after leaving here this morning, you can walk down the street of Wodonga and I'll guarantee you that at least 10 or 20 people will have either read this stuff right now, will have watched a DVD on it and will be applying some of it to their lives. It's very relevant. And the secret, I've seen the DVD, and the secret, funnily enough, is based on what they call secret wisdom, which is 2,000 years old. And immediately my mind went, hmm, that's interesting. And it's based on three principles. The first is ask. The second is receive. Sorry, the second is believe. And the third is receive. I thought, hmm, I've heard that somewhere too. Uh, so anyway, the secret actually is very anti-Christ because we know in 1 John it says, test the spirits and those that do not acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ are from the devil. But just like the devil is a deceiver, there's enough wisdom in the secret to just have some rings of truth. Things like we need to, be we need to have gratitude for all that we have. The secret believes that your thoughts are everything. And when we think, actually what happens is the, uh, our thoughts are transmitted to the universe and the universe hears our thoughts. And if we think positively enough and if we think about things that we want enough, the universe will respond. So in this DVD, there's a guy sitting there and he's got his hands on a make-believe wheel and he's thinking out to the universe, I want a Ferrari. I want a Ferrari. And the, the secret says that if you think long enough, you practice it habitually, then you will get that Ferrari. That's the secret. And I was thinking about this in relation to what we've been listening to last week with Jonathan and what we're going to look at today. And I was thinking, you know, I love being a Christian because being a Christian is totally radical, is totally counterculture to the current culture of this day. And I was trying to think about what is the difference between this philosophy, which has taken minds captive, and what is the difference with Christianity. And I came up with this. The secret would say, aspire to get things. Think out this, always in a positive way, be obedient to the universe. They don't say. They say the universe is benevolent and it has power, but they don't tell you what the universe is. 
or where this power comes from. Be obedient to the universe and you will receive. This is true happiness. Christianity would say, aspire to give everything away. Give away yourself. Give away your mercy. Give away your grace. Give away your peace. Give away your compassion. Give away everything you can. Be obedient to the creator of the universe and you will be blessed. Not happy, blessed. Blessing is different from happiness. Happiness is based on transitory things, on material things, on situational things. Blessedness is a deep, deep sense in the bottom of your heart that no matter what befalls you, you are truly loved by the creator of the universe. And so we come to the remaining four Beatitudes and I just love them. I love them because they're radical. I love them because they give us just God's blueprint, God's secret for living life, life to the fullest. So let's come to the first one. It's not the first one, the first one for me. It's the fourth one. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, mercy stands at the beginning of this beatitude and at the end of this text. At the beginning, it stands as a duty. It's something we must do, we must be. And at the end, it stands as a blessing. But what is meant by mercy? How does it differ from love and grace? You know, they are often used interchangeably, but it seems that grace and love is a response when it's undeserved. And mercy is a loving response prompted by misery, helplessness, on whom love is to be showered. Love and grace answers to the undeserving. Mercy answers to the miserable. But love and mercy agree in this. They are both ready to do good wherever and whenever they can. Mercy is the result of a work of grace in us. And that grace has been given to us through the cross. In Ephesians 2, 4, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The grace of love comes and touches our heart, and we can't help but be merciful, to give away everything that we can. That is the true sign of the secret. And you know what? It is the character of unredeemed natural man to be unmerciful. In Romans 1.31 it says, they refuse to understand, break their promises and are heartless and unforgiving and self-centred. That's the natural heart of man. But when Jesus Christ comes into our lives and transforms us and transforms our heart, we just had a beautiful experience of what he did for us through communion. Colossians 3.10 says, In its place you have clothed yourselves with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ who created this new nature within you. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since he chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, 
You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. There's a beautiful rabbi Jewish saying, well, it's a parable actually. The rabbi had a conversation with the Lord about heaven and hell. I'll show you hell, said the Lord, and he led the rabbi into a room, in the middle of which was a very big round table. The people sitting at it were famished and desperate. In the middle of the table there was a large pot of stew, enough and more for everyone. The smell of the stew was delicious and made the rabbi's mouth water. The people round the table were holding spoons with very long handles. Each one found that it was just possible to reach the pot to take a spoonful of the stew, but because of the handle of his spoon was longer than a man's arm, he couldn't get the food back into his mouth. Okay? The rabbi saw that their suffering was terrible. Now I will show you heaven, said the Lord. And they went to another room with the same, exactly the same as the first. There was the same big round table with the same pot of stew. The people as before were equipped with the same long-handled spoons, but here they were well-nourished and plump, laughing and happy. At first the rabbi could not understand. It's simple, but it requires a certain skill, said the Lord. You see, they have learned to feed each other. That's mercy. But, you know, mercy is not only to those in need. A second type of mercy is the type where we give mercy to those who have wronged us. When we see how much God has forgiven us, we have no option but to have mercy on others. In his amazing book, Heavenly Man, I don't know if anyone's read Heavenly Man, Brother Young, well, he was sentenced to a prison hell for four years for his beliefs. And during this time, supernaturally, it was impossible for anyone to live through the torture, unspeakable torture, beatings and deprivation. He fasted without food and water for 74 days straight. Now, that's humanly impossible. But he brought so many people to the Lord and, and he is one of the main missionaries in current-day China. But every day while he was in that prison, even when he was so weak the other inmates had to carry him, he taught one lesson from James 2.13. Mercy triumphs over judgment was his mantra. And, you know, mercy is something that we must do as Christians. You know, it speaks to the world when we are merciful. My father, I love him dearly and I'm praying for him. But, you know, even though he's not yet a believer, he loves the Salvation Army and he loves that as a church, the only reason being because the Salvos were the only church during the Second World War that were at the front handing out soup to the diggers. My father loves the salvos. Mercy is something we must do to show the world who we belong to. So what temporal, temporal mercies have you received? Every time you draw your breath, you suck in mercy. Every bit of bread you eat, the hand of mercy gives it to you. Every time you drink from, you drink from mercy. 
And what about the spiritual mercies we've received? Pardoning, salvation, grace, adoption mercy. How do you show mercy here? Well, I can tell you. I'll put my hand up. I need more meals cooked for people in need that are are sick, that are caring for sick and loved ones. I need more meals. We need more food for our food bank. Dear Grace, every week gets so distressed because we've got people coming from the community and we always run out. We never have enough and we have to send them away. So how can we show mercy in very practical ways? Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God is the next beatitude, Matthew 5. You know, I did a Google search on Bible Gateway to look at the scriptures that relate to the heart and guess what? There are over a thousand scriptures in the Old and New Testament that relate to the heart. So I figured the heart is pretty important to God. So what I want you to do is just maybe relax, close your eyes. I am just going to read about six or seven different scriptures. And as I read them, they relate to the heart. I want you to be so open to what God is saying to us from his word about the significance of the heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life, Proverbs 24. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. Philippians 4, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 2 Thessalonians 3.5, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. You know, I love that one because I think that's a secret. If we are directed into God's love, God gives us the power to persevere, to overcome. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Where are thoughts and attitudes contained? In the heart. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And lastly, 1 John 3.20, whenever our hearts condemn us, For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So what is the heart? The heart is the seat of our personality. The heart is the seat of our will, our thoughts, our actions. It's where we love. We have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. The heart can be deceptive above all things and yet it is the wellspring of life. How much more do we have to guard our hearts? And God says that not only do we guard our hearts, do you know every room in our hearts has become the new holy of holies. That is where the living Lord God dwells now. And so how how much has this uh, deposit needing to be pure? God says that he wants our heart where he resides to be pure. In Ephesians 1.4, it says, Long ago, 
Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. He has chosen us for holiness. Sorry, he has chosen us not for holiness. He's chosen us to holiness. Purity is the end product of our salvation and redemption. If we could have gone to heaven in our sins, Christ need never have died for us. But Christ died for us to primarily restore relationship back to God. And there is only one way a holy, righteous and loving God can have fellowship with us. And that is if our sins have been atoned for through someone else. Who is that someone else? It was Jesus. Out of the Lord's side when he died on the cross at Calvary came water and blood. Water which signifies the cleansing of sins and blood which signifies our justification. The body of Christ cannot be impure because the head, which is Christ, is pure. So how do we obtain a pure heart? It's so easy to say, and yet this is the the biggest problem for most of us, is that we love our God, yet we continue to harbour things in our hearts that cause him to grieve, that aren't pure. Well, read God's word because I believe when we read God's word, as it said in Hebrews 4.12, it is like something that divides both spirit and soul, joints and marrow. It changes us. It changes our DNA. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, as it says in Romans 12. And we need to go to the bath We need to go to the bath of tears. We need to seek God's repentance for our ongoing sin. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We have to make sure that the holy of holies is clean, is pure. Because what happens Well, the rest of that beatitude says, then we will see God. We will see God. I just think that's amazing. You know, Moses in Exodus 33, 18 said to God, please let me see your glorious presence. And so what did did God do? He put Moses in the cleft of a rock and he said, as my glory passes over, you shall not see my face but you shall look upon my back. So Moses hid in the cleft of a rock and when God's glory came over, his marvellous glory, he saw the back of the glory of God. This beatitude said, Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And our new rock, the blessed rock, is Jesus Christ. We have the living Jesus Christ living within us. And the pure in heart will see him, will see our Lord. We have, Moses saw just a reflection. We can see Jesus face to face if we have a pure heart. That's what this beatitude is saying. And, you know, these beatitudes, unlike the secret that says happiness is based on material possessions, these beatitudes are based on spiritual blessings. They're spiritual primarily. They're about giving away 
not receiving. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You know, peace is such a funny term. I I once again did a a Google Bible Gateway search and there's there's hundreds of um, scriptures based on peace. But out of it, I just want to run through, first of all, what peace is. You know, peace is a position we can all have. The Bible says, if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. So peace is there. It is a position. Go in peace, says Jesus. But it's also a choice. We can choose peace. It says in the word, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. We can choose peace. And it's also a gift. Peace I leave with you, said Jesus. Do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. My peace I will give to you. We know that peace is the gospel. The truth of the Lord Jesus Christ's message is a gospel of peace, peace to the world. And it's a blessing. Blessed are the peacemakers. So we know that peace is all these things. How do we get peace? Well, there is a way. There's only one way, and that is Jesus You know, in Romans 3.17, I'm reminded of this philosophy that's raging through the world because it says, and the way of peace they do not know. And yet Ephesians 2.14 says, for he himself is our peace. Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility? He abolished In his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Peace comes primarily through believing in Jesus Christ. And how do we maintain it? Well, we get more of it through the Holy Spirit. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We maintain it through prayer and rejoicing. Philippians 4, 4-7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Despite your circumstances, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need to pursue it. 1 Peter says, seek peace and pursue it. And we need finally to put it into practice. Philippians 4 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. 
A peacemaker desires to bring blessing to others. So many around us lack inner peace. H.G. Wells wrote of Mr. Polly, he was not so much a human being as a civil war. We reflect our inner conflict between each other and realise that it is a small illustration of the lack of peace we have with God. We need inner peace, we need peace between people and most of all, we need peace with God. David Armstrong was an Irish Protestant, born-again believer. And I don't know if you remember the um, Bobby Sands um, hunger strikes, um, but way back in the, I think it was the 70s, I actually don't have the actual decade, but I think it was the 70s, that, you know, when the Protestants and the Catholics were fighting. Jimmy Gibson was a Protestant um, professional terrorist and Liam McCloskey was a Roman Catholic terrorist and they were both in prison and they both came to the Lord through David Armstrong's ministry. And together, after they were released from prison, they went out and preached peace and reconciliation between the two religions. We're called to bring peace to human beings. This is so different to pursuing a peaceful life. Sometimes we need to face up to difficult situations. We need to confront in order to have peace. But this is our calling as children of God. We need to work hard at bringing peace to a hurting world. The last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, we really don't know, do we, what it means to be really persecuted in our society here in Australia. We know what it might mean to feel marginalised, you know, to feel a little bit rejected. We might feel persecuted at times by, by our family that don't understand, by work colleagues that don't understand, by a media that actively persecutes. But I don't think, well, maybe some of us have, but not many of us have experienced the persecution like a man like Brother Young has experienced. And, you know, I mean, we might well think that if we live the kind of life that Jesus advocated, we would be universally popular but in fact, this isn't the case. Jesus never guaranteed popularity. In fact, he warns us to be on our God if everyone thinks highly of us and says that there is bound to be opposition. He never said, come to me and your troubles will be over. We are the conscience of mankind and that can be very unpopular. We may have to endure insults, and ridicule or even worse. But you know, in the early church, they had a very different attitude from ours in the West when it came to being willing to pay the price to be a follower of Jesus Christ. On occasion, they found that there was conflict between their business interests and their loyalty to Jesus Christ. A man once came to the theologian Tertullian who lived at about 220 AD with a problem. He told him of his business difficulties and ended by saying, what can I do? I must live. Must you? asked Tertullian. Must we live for the gospel? Or are we prepared to die 
for the gospel. Jesus never told us to seek persecution, but he did say that when it comes, we are to regard it as a blessing. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For theirs, uh, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Through the Looking Glass, Alice asked the tiger lily why the flowers were talking. Reach down and feel the ground, said the tiger lily. Then you'll know why. Alice did so. It's very hard, she said, but I don't know what this has to do with it. Oh, in most gardens, the tiger lily said, they make the beds too soft so that the flowers are always asleep. Are we asleep? Here in the West, we have everything we could possibly have. We have everything at our disposal. If we're hungry, we just go to the supermarket. Sometimes we even get tired of the same old food. But we never thirst, we never go without, we're never tortured for our convictions. In fact, to our shame, we often don't even speak up about our convictions. I confess I'm too soft. It's one reason I want to go to Africa. I'm not doing it out of some altruistic reason to help someone else. I'm doing it because I want my heart broken open and I want to be changed because I'm too soft. I want to be mindful of what it means to be merciful to a hurting world. I want to get a different viewpoint of how others who are just like me, that when, I, when they're cut, they bleed, just like me, how they live, what their lives are like. It's nothing, it's paltry to go for two weeks. That, that means nothing. But I, I want to be broken over, open. I want to be expended. I want to be giving as much as I can giving. I just can't abide living the comfortable Christian life anymore. And you know what God says in these Beatitudes? God says that if you have that attitude, if you seek after these things, if you give away more than you want to receive, guess what? You'll be blessed. You mightn't be happy, but you'll be blessed in the depths of your soul. My question today is that we've been given, not a question, a statement first, we've been given an incredible secret. It's counterculture, as Jonathan said. The true secret is that it is greater to give than to receive. My question to you today is how are you living this life that Jesus gave you? How do you feel about the Beatitudes? Are you adopting them on a daily basis for your life? Are you really sincere in your heart about what God is saying as a blueprint, a secret for fullness of life? 
as we've looked at these eight Beatitudes, we've seen a portrait being painted. It's a comprehensive picture of the Christian disciple and it's Jesus' own view of a Christian. Our repentance and sorrow over sin make us meek or patient in our relationships and yet also drives us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Beatitudes then develop an image of us as we relate to each other. We show mercy, are transparent in our dealings with people and seek peace. Yet for our efforts, we are persecuted by a world that doesn't want to hear what we have to say. But the Bible says that in doing so, we are blessed. And this blessedness is contrary to the world view. The world lords rich, powerful and material things rather than do gooders who show mercy and seek peace. This is why we are in the world but not of it. Our standards are different and we are called to behave differently according to those standards. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your amazing wisdom. We thank you that you truly want to pour out your blessing on us and yet there is a secret way of doing this but it ain't the world's way. Lord, I just pray that you would help every person here today to truly be radical, counterculture, followers, regardless of the cost of Jesus Christ, that every person here would be wanting to give away more than actually receive even if it means to the point of death. Lord, I'm reminded that every time we come before you and we look upon you at the cross, every time we keep to our comfort, every time that we, we don't give till it hurts, every time we harbour sin and not holiness and purity, Every time we remain silent, we're actually one of the mockers that stand around the cross of Christ. Lord, I don't want to be a mocker. I want to be a radical Christian. Lord, I pray that every person here will want the same thing. In Jesus' name, amen.